St. John chapter 1 and verse 17. John chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, God, and for your word. I just pray, God, that you let me decrease so you can increase. Our heart's prayer today is that we want less of us and more of you. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I could subtitle the message today, and you're going to pick up on the theme of this throughout the next few weeks. But if I could subtitle the message today, the the theme of the message all about him, the subtitle, When Grace Broke Its Chain. The scripture says that the law came by Moses. And there's some things that we need to understand about the law. The law could never save you. How many of you would like to have lived underneath the law? Let me explain something to you about the law. If you picked up sticks on the Sabbath, you got stoned. That was the law. If you disrespected your mother and father, you were stoned. That was the law. Think about it. We wouldn't have lived to be 10 years old. That was the law. And the law was never intended, the law never could save us. It was just intended to point us to the way. As a matter of fact, the scripture said that we wouldn't have known sin if it hadn't been for the law. How many of you know that the law out there says speed limit 55? How many of you know that? How many of you totally ignore that? (laughs) See, that we wouldn't have known transgression had it not been for the law. So the law keeps us in boundaries. The law makes sure that we're operating in the parameter that we need to be in for our own safety. But just like today, the law got broken a lot. The problem is, is if you broke the law back then, it could end up costing you your life. So let's take a look. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews sums it up. And what you have to understand about the writer of Hebrews, he spends the entire book of Hebrews trying to get a message across to the Jews that Jesus is better than the law. There were those that were still trying to hold to the law, that were still trying to take part of grace but shove the law into it. And and so what he does is he creates for them a picture to let them understand what the law was. This is Hebrews 10, chapter 10, starting with verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. 
Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God. And this is written about me in the scriptures. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. The law came by Moses. And the law couldn't save you. And the law couldn't protect you. And the law couldn't keep you. But grace, everybody say, but grace. But grace came by Jesus Christ. Well, let's take a look at grace. Ephesians 2 and 8 said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everybody say, God's gift? Grace. You can't save yourself. How many of you have ever tried to? You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to be holy enough to save myself, and I'm going to, you know, make sure that I'm doing everything I can to save myself. And do you understand that there are religions in the world that are based on that, on your works? The problem with that is you don't know what works save you. You don't know how much work saves you, and you don't know when you're finally saved. It's just a merry-go-round you can't get off of. But Jesus comes in and he brings the gift of grace. And it's said that we are saved by grace. It's the gift of God. But like, how many, have, how many of you have ever received a gift before? Hold your hand up. Birthday gift, Christmas gift, anniversary gift, bar mitzvah gift, you know, Mother's Day gift, whatever. You ever, hold, hold your hands up just a second. Some of you look pretty, okay, I wanted to make sure everybody's gotten a gift at some point in your life. Now, here comes the question. The question is, did you buy the gift? No, but I promise you somebody did. Because all gifts cost somebody something, even the gift of God. And so grace is God's gift and it's going to cost something. Grace was always a part of God's character. But like every gift, it's got to be paid for. So until grace could be paid for, grace was kept on a chain. Everybody say restrained. You see, you couldn't put the gift out if it hasn't been bought yet, you just can't walk into Walmart and say, oh, I like that and walk out the door with it. It's got to be paid for. It's got to be purchased. Even though grace is God's character, it's held back until it can be purchased. And so if you will, for years, grace is kept on a chain waiting for the day that it can be free. I will admit, though, that there are a few times in Scripture where grace managed to get off of its chain before it had been purchased. I want you to think about a world where nobody has the capacity of thinking any good thought. The Bible said that every man's mind, their imaginations, was evil continually. And in that mess, in a world that was going to hell in a handbasket, in a world where men had corrupted themselves and they'd given over to every sensual pleasure and every immoral 
thought there was one man that said, I'm not going to go that route. I don't care if the rest of the world's doing it. I'm going to hang on for God. I'm going to hang on and love God. And, and, and I want you to think about that. How alone would you feel if you were the only person in the world that was loving God? How alone would you feel? Would you still be able to love God or would you cave to the pressure? You say, well, pastor, is it worth it? Ask Noah, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When grace saw, when God saw Noah loving him, when everybody else was against him, grace managed to slip its chain and save not only Noah, but his entire household. But then, it's put back on that chain. My children have got some, aunt, some pets that don't like chains. Matter of fact, one of them cuts and runs every time he gets an opportunity. Because nobody wants to be chained. And grace didn't either. That part of God longed to be free. Jesus comes. But he hasn't paid the price yet. And there's a unique place in Scripture where you get a look and you see Jesus. And it almost seems completely out of character for him. Because there's a woman that's got a daughter that's possessed. And, and man, she's, she's crying after them. She's not a Jew. She's a Greek. And she's hollering and screaming and saying, Master, you've got to help me. My, my daughter's grievously vexed with the Spirit. You've got to help me. And Jesus completely ignores her. That seems so out of character for Jesus, to ignore someone's cry. It got so bad that even disciples turned around and looked at him and said, Man, send her away. She's... She's crying after us. She's making such a fuss. She's, you, you've got to send her away. And Jesus doesn't turn and speak to her, but he turns and, speak to, and speaks to his disciples and said, I'm only sent to the lost house of Israel. That's who I came for. Now hear me. It's not that Jesus doesn't love her. It's not that Jesus doesn't care for her. It's just that Jesus hasn't paid the price yet. And grace is the gift of God, and that gift has got to be paid for. And so he, 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 he speaks of a time when that gift will be paid for, and he even let his disciples know it. He said, I've got sheep of another flock that you don't know anything about, and I've got to bring them in. But right now, I, I just can't do it. I and then uh, all of a sudden something happened. That woman, come here, babe. That woman ran up and fell down at his feet and began to worship him. Do you understand what that does to God when you start worshiping? 
When all of a sudden you refuse to complain, you refuse to bellyache, you refuse to begin to mumble and grumble, but instead you begin to worship. She looked at him and said, and, and, and said, Lord, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. And he looked at her and he said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and cast the dogs. She didn't argue with him. She didn't dispute him. She said, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. You've got to help me. And in that moment, all of a sudden, grace began to rattle its chain and thought, she's worshiping me. She's not arguing. She understands the mess she's in. And I'm the only way she can get free. And grace slips its chain one more time. He looked at her and said, woman, your prayer has been answered according to your faith. Can you imagine what it was like for all those years for God to want to pour out his grace, but he's bound himself by his word. It's a gift of God. The wages of sin is but the gift of God. You're saved by, not by works lest any man should boast, it's the gift of God. And the time finally came for the price to be paid. And when that Roman whip began to rip the flesh from his back, grace was like a caged lion pacing back and forth anticipating that the time had arrived when all of a sudden you could hear that hammer ringing and those spikes ripped through his hands and his feet grace is in a frenzy and saying it's almost time it's almost time for years we've been kept away from the presence of God there was a veil in the temple that separated us from the holy of holies we couldn't get there we weren't allowed there but Jesus came to do something for us that the law could not do. And when those words were cried out, it is finished. Grace broke its chain and all of a sudden set the captive free. The Bible said that the veil in the temple was roped from the top to the bottom, torn apart. And now grace is out of its cage. Grace is on the prowl, and it's hunting for prey. Let me tell you something about grace. Grace is not, I, I think sometimes we get grace mixed up. Grace is not some weak, frail, fragile, feeble, puny part of God's character. The Bible said that grace came by Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the lion is ready to roar. Don't tell me God can't save you. Don't tell me God's not able. My kids have gone too far. That one slipped the grasp of God's grace. You can't. Ask Paul. Paul wasn't looking for salvation. 
Paul was looking to kill some Christians. Paul was looking to commit some people to prison. That's where he was at when grace hunted him down. Paul understood something about grace. So that's why in Galatians he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Grace will get a hold of you and turn you every which way but loose. Grace apprehended him. That's why in Philippians he says, I'm trying to apprehend why I've been apprehended. What's Paul saying? I didn't come willingly. <laughs> I didn't. Is anybody in the house? You see, you misunderstand God's grace. You think that you have to surrender your will. I'm telling you that God's grace can apprehend your will. I'm telling you that you don't have to have a shift in your heart before God grabs you. You don't have to come to the lowest point in your life for God to get a hold of you. Everything doesn't have to fall apart first. God can grab you right where you're at. Grace isn't bound any longer. It's not chained any longer. But it's looking for you. And so grace goes throughout the earth on the wings of the gospel to find those that it can apprehend for the power and the glory of God. It reminds me of a story of a young boy named John. John was born in 1725. His father was a merchant sailor, a British merchant sailor. His mother was a devout Christian woman. And she dreamed of so much more for John than becoming a sailor like her husband. So she poured herself into John, into his education. She trained him and taught him how to read scripture. And she would sing the hymns to him. And he began to soak up what mama was saying. But before John turned seven years of age, his mother Elizabeth died of tuberculosis and John was devastated. His father put him in a boarding school and he stayed in that boarding school for three years and it was finally too much for the young man that longed to be with his father so he left the boarding school and he went and joined the crew on his father's ship. Sailing the high seas with salty sailors was no place for a 10-year-old boy. It wasn't long until everything that mama had taught him got swallowed up with hardship and immorality. John began to drift further and further away from what mama had poured into him. 
the age of 19 years old. He was a defiant, but he was an excellent seaman. And so he was kidnapped outside of a tavern one night and forced to join the Navy. He hated that he had been robbed of his freedom. He was enraged that someone would snatch him up and take him away from what he knew. So he tried to flee, going to leave that captivity of serving in the British Navy. And he took off and they captured him and they flogged him publicly with a whip. They demoted him to the lowest place on that ship because of his insubordination. And the next four years of his life were four years that were filled with torment and despondency. He wrote about it years later and said, my heart was filled with bitter rage and despair. He hated where he was. He begged the captain to free him of this servitude to the Navy. And, and to his surprise, one day the captain agreed. Traded John to a merchant vessel that was headed to West Africa. And John seemed so happy to get off that ship, but he had no idea that he was getting ready to board a ship that would embroil him in one of the severest tragedies in history. John was boarding a ship that captured men and women and sold them as slaves. You would have thought that that young man, after everything he had been through, would have refused to board that vessel. You would have thought, having experienced what it was to have your freedom taken from you, that he would have fought vehemently for the freedom of other, others. But John didn't. Instead, he falls into a deep pit he continues to plunge downward, drinking, and, and his rage just takes over his life until he enthusiastically does his job on that vessel and becomes the captain of that ship, Amen. selling men and women. His soul had dove into such a dark pit that all those that were around him, including his own crew, despised him. They couldn't stand him. It was like John was floundering and going further and further into the grave and could not find his way out. But how many of you know that no matter how deep the pit, my God is deeper still. One day in 1748, John found a book. It was a Christian classic called imitation of Christ. It was written by Thomas A. Kempis, and he 
began to read that book. And as he began to read that book, he began to see the depravity of his own soul. One night as he was wrestling with what he had become and where he was at, suddenly a storm hit on the Atlantic and it, it, it erupted violently for the next two days and two nights. That crew fought to try and keep that ship afloat. Finally, you could hear the vessel breaking apart. And in that moment, John began to cry out in despair to God. And in the middle of that storm, all of a sudden, all the scriptures that his mama taught him came flooding back to him. And he began to remember about what mama had said, about who he was, about who God was, who Jesus was. And right there, he fell and broke and began to weep and cry out and gave his heart to God the storm wouldn't subside for another day but the storm in his heart was already over in 1750 John married and entered and began to prepare himself to enter the ministry when John turned 39 years old he was ordained as a minister and given his first commission a church in only England and there people would gather to hear John begin to preach with a fire in his heart about his own personal conversion and the grace that God had shown him Amen. they came to hear this man that said a drunkard was a petty sinner compared to what I was for I had the ambition and desire to rank in wickedness among the foremost of the human race. There's never a day that goes by that I don't think back to the time I was a slave trader and all the evil I had done. I'm so thankful for God's grace in my life. To grace how great a debtor I am and will always be. John Newton would go on to write nearly 300 worship songs. One of those was first published in 1779, where John Newton began to talk about God's amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet. The sound it was his testimony that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Sing it with him. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace. My fears 
that God always loved you he always wanted you he said that it's not my will that any should perish but all would come to everlasting life so many people tried to live and find their way through the dark without the grace of God but the day grace broke its chain it flooded the world with the light of his love so we don't have to live in darkness any longer. So let me ask a question. Where are you today? What ship are you sailing on? What do you hold in your heart that won't let you go? What despair gnaws at you daily? What darkness tries to drag you into an abyss? No matter how deep the pit, my God is deeper still. Those aren't my words, those were Corey Timboom, a woman that lived through a Nazi concentration camp, watched her own sister murdered at the hands of those soldiers only to come out singing about the grace of God. You may be saying, Pastor, but my kids, you, you just don't understand where they're at. God does. God knows exactly where they're at. And all you've got to do is surrender those children to Him and then keep your hands off. Everybody say, get your hands off. Sometimes we surrender and then we want to claim them back and we surrender and we want to claim them back and God's trying to do his work. Let God's amazing grace show you just how amazing he really is. So this is how I want to end the service today. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come and stand with me and if they just come up here and I, I'm going to do something that may seem a little strange to you or a little odd to you. Somebody said one time that there's not a need for an altar anymore in the church because he made the last sacrifice. My response to that was, well, Paul said, I present my body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. What did he say? He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren. What was he saying? Bring yourself to the altar. Offer yourself there, not as a dead sacrifice, but one that's alive, one that can tell the good news about Jesus Christ. If you're in this place today 
and you need to experience God's grace. Grace is no longer on a chain, so there's no reason for you to be either. Grace has been set free. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There's no need for you to carry the fear and the anxiety of your children being lost. Paul said, I'm persuaded he's able to keep that that I commit to him against that day. If any man ever lived and breathed and knew something about grace, Paul did. Paul was having people murdered, but God apprehended him. There's nothing you're facing, nothing you're going through, no situation, no circumstance, no individual that the grace of God can't apprehend if you'll surrender it into his hands right now. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do is you move toward the front of this building. You're going to surrender to God. I want you simply just to whisper to one of the prayer partners what it is you're surrendering. Let them know. If you don't want to let anybody know, just slip your hand up to God and let God know. But I'm telling you that there is a breaking before there's a releasing. Oh, come on, hear what I'm saying. There's a breaking before there's a releasing. He had to break the bread before he released the bread. They had to break the vial before the oil could be released. We've got to break our will so His grace can be released in our life, in our families, and on our, in, in our situations. If you're ready to do that right now, I want you to come forward right now, very quickly as they sing this song. Sing it. Now, hold it, hold it just a second. I know you're a little hesitant to come, but let me ask you a question. I mean, does everybody, you, is, so all your friends are saved. So all your family's saved and nobody you know needs God's grace to apprehend them. If you know somebody that needs God's grace, you need to come down here and say, God, I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I'm going to make up the hedge for them. Don't be, don't be slow to move. Don't feel like, I don't like it when all of a sudden we start acting like, well, it's just another church service. There's no such thing as just another church service. God sits on the throne in the heavens and he's just waiting for us to say, here I am, God. So if you don't want to walk down front, you raise your hand where you're at and you call out someone's name that you know if God's grace doesn't touch them, they're lost and undone. If God's grace doesn't apprehend them, they're never going to find heaven as their home. Come on. It's what he called us for. It's what we're here for. Sing it together.
place that it's time to insert a name you insert someone's name that needs God's grace to apprehend them would you do that with me just speak their name prayer is a powerful force prayer changes the world it really does I could show you instances throughout history where people praying shifted the world in our own nation the Revolutionary War prayer shifted the tides of that war don't sell out your prayer too short. You'd be surprised what happens when you call out in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your grace is available to all men. Father, in Titus, you, you told us in your word that grace has been shown to all men. For its salvation power, God, that it's been shown to all men. So, Father, we call out your name today and ask you to apprehend, fill in that name. Apprehend them right now. Come on, call out their name. Apprehend them by your grace. Don't let them keep running. Apprehend them now. Father, apprehend Greg. Apprehend darling God. Apprehend them now by your grace and call them home call them home to you let them find you let the darkness that they've tried to envelop their soul break it now and free them in Jesus name come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house praise God praise God yes Lord praise yes Lord praise, praise is on the proud praise God praise is going praise after them upon you may he bless you when you're going out and coming in may you always feel your worth and know you're loved may you understand that God not only knows your name but he cherishes who you are and keeps you as his only treasure until we meet again together you walk like the treasure you are a child of God. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this building tonight.